Creative Babble. At trial, during the cross-examination, the prosecutor started going through every statement Gage Bethune made to detectives. He asked Gage Bethune if various statements he made were lies or the truth. Initially, Gage tried to say the prosecutor's questions were confusing. But eventually, Gage Bethune began to admit lie after lie that he told his cousin Jonathan Stanley, the Illinois state trooper on the side of Route 13 on the night of the incident, and the detectives. Gage admitted that he had lied to get out of trouble, but that he wouldn't lie now, not while he was on the stand. I'm John Taylor with the Twisted Podcast. And I'm Javier Leva with the Pretend Podcast. And this is Criminal Conduct Season 4, Getting Away with Murder. Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm just keep our, it simple. Uh, I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Bravo bros. Good job. So, John, what was the family and Monica hoping for when they initially reached out to you? I think that they were looking for some kind of validation that what Monica and Lovely believed, which was that Praveen didn't just walk into the woods and die, that someone else may have caused his death. They wanted someone to be able to look at it objectively and let them know the direction that they were going was wrong or not. Because at the time, everyone in a position of authority, the medical examiner, the police, the prosecutor, everybody was telling Lovely and Monica that they didn't know what they were talking about and that they were totally off base. Yeah. Monica and Lovely have never done this before. They were strictly going on intuition, right? Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, they didn't have any official experience working criminal cases. But both Lovely and Monica are very intelligent women, and they immediately picked up on errors that the police had made, flaws in the conclusions and the assumptions of those in charge. And so they felt like they were onto something, but everyone was telling them they weren't. So I think that they reached out to me because I didn't know anything about the case, and they just gave me the information and asked for my opinion. And so I think at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, they would have loved to get an indictment, and that's what they ultimately wanted. But at the time, they were just looking for some external validation. When John got involved in the case back in 2016, the case was at a standstill. Right, and I have to thank the wonderful John Taylor. One thing that he was spot on all the way to the end, he said, you guys are going to get that indictment. And when you do, it doesn't feel good. You're happy in a moment, but it doesn't bring Praveen back. And it's just not what you thought it was. It'll probably feel weird. He's like, I've heard that from so many people. And John was right. 
They would eventually get their indictment, but it wasn't going to be easy. After the city council meeting, Lovely and Monica got the police records. All of them. With the records, they could begin to try to figure out what really happened. And now, we have the records. Let's go back to the night Praveen went missing, February 12th, 2014. Praveen went with his cousin Ash and some friends to a party at 606 West College Street in Carbondale. This is the first party location. Now, we've talked about this before, but now, because we have the police records, we are going to get witness statements that we hadn't heard before. Contrary to what most initially thought, the Carbondale Police Department did a ton of work looking into Praveen's death. They interviewed dozens of people and chased down many rumors and tips. It was apparent rather quickly that the police were on top of this case. According to various accounts, Praveen grabbed a woman's butt, stole beer, and took someone's sunglasses. Praveen's friends stated that these behaviors were consistent with Praveen just being drunk. According to police interviews of individuals present at the party, Praveen told several people he either dealt cocaine or was able to get cocaine for people. However, most of his friends said this was Praveen just trying to act cool and be important. No one knew him to deal drugs. At 10.07 p.m., Praveen called the friend, and she told police that she thought Praveen sounded intoxicated. At 10.21 p.m., Praveen texted another friend and said, Got some ya and two Gs? According to police reports, ya is slang for cocaine. His friend worked at a nearby bar called Sticks. This is where Praveen and his friends were heading later that evening. Though Praveen talked of distributing cocaine and trying to acquire it, no one at the party saw him use it or sell it. At 10.25 p.m., Praveen Facebook messaged another friend saying that he was drunk. A short time after this, some of the tenants from 606 believed that someone was going through their bedrooms, but that that person ran out the back door. They suspected that that person was Praveen. Once again, Praveen was being mischievous and stirring things up. At 10.52 p.m., Praveen Facebook messaged another friend, and he said, quote, I'd done a lot of dumb shit, unquote. The GPS location put him right outside of 606, the first party house. Praveen had been quite active on his phone. Yeah, he was very active during this portion of the night. At 10.56 p.m., Facebook GPS still had Praveen at 6.06. At 11.06 p.m., Praveen tweeted, quote, 99% of the time, I have no idea what's going on. At 11.17 p.m., Praveen tweeted about having bloody knuckles. He said he must have been in a fight. This tweet became quite relevant when he was missing. According to the police records, around 11.20 p.m., Praveen was on the street near 6.06, but appears to have left the first party. After that, we have a witness to corroborate Praveen's location. At around 11.30 p.m., Rommel Williams claims that Praveen approached him for a ride near the intersection of West College and Beveridge Streets. Rommel Williams described Praveen as very intoxicated, and they met just a couple houses down from 606, the first party house. He didn't know Praveen, and Rommel declined his request to give him a ride. Rommel told police that he saw Praveen walk across the street and knock on the front door of 405, the second party house. He walked this route that we're walking right now on his way uh, to 405, which... 405. Is right here. Yeah. So there are indications at the time that, that 405, that there may have been either some kind of drug dealing going on or... So it was known as a drug house. Right. right? So that, those were the rumors. Yeah. So some of the speculation was that he was coming over here to get, get drugs, but... 
Yeah, that's just speculation. Most of the accounts, there's nothing indicating that uh, Praveen did anything other than possibly using weed, and he was just kind of looking like a big shot. I think he's just a big talker, you yeah, know? He exactly. Was, he posted that night on Twitter that he had bloody knuckles, implying that he was that he got into a fight, but it actually turns out that it was just an accident. Right. Was, yeah, like a window fell on his hand. So I, Praveen strikes me as the kind of guy that just likes to show off. He seems right. very gregarious. But this house that we're looking at, 405, what? It was maybe less than two blocks yeah. away? Yep, so two blocks from where, where he was. And he ran into an individual in the parking lot here across the street from 405 before he went in. And I think he was asking the guy for a ride or whatever, and the guy described Praveen as being intoxicated, and I think they fist bumped. And then after that discussion, he saw Praveen walking over towards the house. We believe Gage and the people he rode into town with where they intersected with Praveen, he had pulled his truck in in front of this house, and at some point, Praveen and Gage cross paths. Yeah, it's important because when I first learned about the story, I thought Praveen met Gage at the first house, at the first party, but he didn't. He met him here at the second house. Right, so they're complete strangers at this point. Praveen was a college student here in Carbondale, and Gage was just a local kid from a small town, maybe 30, 40 minutes from here. So they didn't seem to have a whole lot in common on the surface. Yeah, I mean, they'd never met prior to to this moment where they were both at this 405 house. It makes me wonder if Praveen had never gone to this second location that he might still be around today. And he had no friends with him or anything, so he was on his own at this point. You know, it's weird because Gage didn't know Praveen, Praveen didn't know Gage, and yet if Gage is responsible for Praveen's death, I mean, that means that something really dramatic happened that night, right? I mean, up to this point, it's just a normal night. So it's like there's some something flipped, something changed in, in the course of maybe an hour. Let's go back to the police timeline. At 11.37 p.m., Praveen's GPS, per his Facebook messaging, had him at Cherry Street and South Ash Street, which was one block off of College Street. So either Praveen did not take a direct route from 606 to 405, or the GPS was off by a block. At 11.41 p.m., Praveen received texts from a friend that said, where are you? Are you going to Sticks? And then again, where are you? At 11.45 p.m., Praveen checked his voicemail. At 11.51 p.m., per the GPS on Facebook, Praveen was at 405 West College. Yeah, so all this activity shows that Praveen was on his phone a lot that night, right? Yeah, I think this is pretty common for college students at the time. And we know Praveen was at 405 West College Street because two people saw him there. And then sometime between 11.45 to 12.20 a.m., that's when Praveen engaged cross paths. How? Exactly when? We don't have any witnesses or means to know the circumstances of this encounter other than Gage Bethune's account. Praveen was very active on his phone that night when suddenly it just stopped, except for one last phone call at 12.29 a.m. Praveen's phone called his friend Anita Johnson. Anita stated that she heard Praveen's voice, but he did not speak directly to her. The call lasted a total of three minutes. According to Anita, she heard another male voice say, give me back that, and Praveen say, I'm trying to help you. She thought Praveen sounded serious and that there was a lot of movement and what sounded like running. She also thought that Praveen called the guy either Mark or Greg. This was the last call that Praveen Varghese made before he died. Thank you.
John, even though we have the police records, I still feel like there's a lot of questions of what happened that night. Did Praveen leave 405 with Gage voluntarily? And where was Gage's cousin, Jonathan Stanley, in all of this? Gage Bethune went to Carbondale with three other people, but returned home alone? I mean, this is a big hole in the story. And why would you abandon your buddies to leave with a random stranger? Well, my question is, like, how did Jonathan get home that night? Does anybody know that answer? And I was like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was in there, which she might have been drunk, too. I mean, everybody's partying. So, I mean, I get it. It was a while back. And maybe you don't remember, but this guy's like six four. Was this big dude in your back of your car or not? She said she took Jonathan home with the two. However, that still could have been possible. He still could have left with Gage. He still could have been a part of beating Praveen's ass. The word is, and many people still say, Jonathan was in the woods with Praveen when the cop came up. And then Jonathan ran back to where the party was. Yeah, but it's quite a distance from the woods right right by the side of the road to where all the party was happening. I mean, it's a short drive, but kind of a long walk, right? Not if you think somebody's dead and you're hopped up on coke. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to get, go to prison. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Not if you have... Uh, very much familiarity with the law and jail and you don't want to go back again because you just got out. The tipster cousin that told him said, well, you know, my cousin said the guy couldn't walk. Well, it's not that he couldn't walk. He was having trouble walking. It wasn't like he was crawling. He, he had trouble getting over the fence. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what fence? How do you know about the fence? Your cousin in that right. great of detail told At you night? about the fence? At night? What are you talking about? So do I believe Jonathan was there? Many, many people are certain. So tell me about that. Let's talk about Jonathan and, and his possible involvement. What's your theory on this? I still go back and forth so much. Many, many, many people, including the owner of the home that Gage was at that night, said, I moved the car. Gage's truck was the first one there. Gage was on a rampage, and him and Jonathan were in the truck with Praveen, and I moved the car. He said, there's a chance when I pulled the car back in, Jonathan had gotten out and like, dude, I ain't going, whatever, and went back in. He can't prove it. Nobody's going to tell on him. Would you state your name, please, for us? Gage Bethune. The Carbondale police had Gage Bethune come in for questioning. Or as the state's attorney, Mike Carr, saw it, Gage voluntarily went to the police as if this somehow conveyed innocence. Of course, everyone who agrees to be interviewed by the police does so voluntarily. I'm just going to take you back to the evening of last Wednesday, February 12th. I understand that you came to Carbondale that night, but why don't you start with how you got here, what you drove, and who you came with? Okay. Drove my own vehicle. Drove my cousin, Jonathan Stanley. We're here to talk about an individual that you came across that night, a young male. Um, I don't think you know his name. No, I don't. Okay. Um, So tell us how you first came into contact with him. I was leaving the party. Okay. And he came up to my window and said, hey, give me a ride. And I said, where are you going? He said, right down the road. So I said, okay, you know, go ahead and get in. It's cold outside. Nobody needs to be walking when it's cold. Uh, for the main ride. We don't know if Praveen entered Gage's truck voluntarily or even conscious. All we have to go on is Gage's side of the story. According to Gage, they drove around town for an undetermined amount of time with Praveen allegedly talking on his cell phone and ignoring Gage. That's according to Gage, by the way. However, Praveen's phone records do not support this account. He wasn't using his phone at all during this time. 
Gage told police that on their way out of Carbondale, Praveen became enraged and started punching him. Gage says he pulled his truck over on Route 13. They got out of the car and started fighting. As they rolled down the hill, that's when the state trooper pulled up behind Gage's car. Illinois State Trooper Christopher Martin arrived at 1234 a.m., which was now the early morning of February 13th, 2014. He pulled up behind Gage's truck. Though Gage indicated that he was rolling around with Praveen on the side of the hill, Trooper Martin stated that Gage was standing on the passenger side of the vehicle when he arrived. That night, Gage told the trooper that he hadn't been drinking, even though now he's telling police during this interview that he had been drinking and had alcohol in his truck that night. As we mentioned in a previous episode, Gage told the trooper that he picked up a black hitchhiker on Route 13, but he told the Carbondale police detectives that he took Praveen with him when he left the party at 405 College Street. He also failed to tell the state trooper that he punched Praveen multiple times that night, though he referred to it as a scuffle, quote-unquote, when he was describing it to the detectives. When detectives interviewed the trooper later on, the trooper says that he found the whole interaction with Gage suspicious. However, he failed to follow up on his intuition. He did not conduct any actions to determine if Gage was drunk. And the trooper also failed to search the woods, but he was skeptical of Gage's story. So he may not have thought someone actually ran into the woods. Or if he did, there was no reason to legally pursue the person. You know, John, I hear Gage's story and I'm just thinking, why were these guys driving away from town? Where exactly were they going and why? It just didn't make any sense. After Praveen walked to 405, he was alone. His cousin, his friends, everyone he knew was still back at 606. And Praveen had been drinking and he was freezing. This is when he ran into Gage Bethune and possibly some of Gage's friends. You've had to have thought about this case for years and and kind of replayed it in your head, putting all the pieces together. You've done so much research. I mean, look, I'm talking to you right now. You remember the day. You remember the time. I mean, this thing is like burned and etched in your brain. Walk me through what you think really happened that night, the night that Praveen went missing and ultimately died. I am 10 million percent sure Praveen had his ass attacked on, on the road right between 606 and 405, period, end of story. Did he maybe get in or say he'd get in to take a ride for a split second and then figure out these guys are crazy as hell I went out? Possible. Praveen tweeted and Facebooked and text and called on his phone all night, all night, all night, back and forth. He was talking so much shit. There was a 30-minute period where he went literally radio silent. And the only way he would do that is if he was knocked out. Next time on Criminal Conduct, we're going to hear more of Gage Bethune's interview with police. Criminal Conduct was written and produced by me, Javier Leva, with the Pretend Podcast, and John Taylor with the Twisted Podcast. Punit Shinoi, with the Podcast Pundits, helped us with the production and editing on this series. If you want to binge the entire series, all nine episodes, check out the link in the show notes. It will take you to the Criminal Conduct Patreon page. The episodes are also available on Pretend Plus on Apple Podcasts. Our theme music was written and produced by Ruby Rose Fox. Of course, follow us on social media. We are at CriminalCon on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All right, we'll talk next week.
Creative Babble.